0: Well, this morning is our last, um, our last message in a series through the prophets and the preaching of the prophets. Some of the prophets' best sermons and, and different things they did as they, in the midst of their prophetic books or even how they started. We looked at it a couple of times. We're gonna look at the start of another prophetic book and uh, I think there's something in Jeremiah's start, how he starts his book. I think there's something in it for us men. Uh, there's something in it for all of us. There's something in it, especially for us men. Men who need to take a stand in the midst of the day. Not only do we need to take a stand, we need to tell our story. Tell, tell your story, take your stand. Those are my two takeaways for this morning. We'll unpack those as we go. But first, let me say this. I didn't really want to be a pastor. In fact, I, I decidedly chose not to be a pastor I think partly I may have gone to Africa as a missionary because that would kind of get me off of being a pastor. I don't know if that's all that works. I, that, that probably actually was God's seminary more than anything else. But uh, in my thinking, maybe that's part of what was going on. I still remember walking with a couple of good friends down the street. It was, it was at Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And one of them said, Bob, you ever thought about being a pastor? You know, that, that um, first suggestion of a call that hadn't, had already been heard by me, but now my friends were hearing it too. You know, God's ganging up. You know, he's expanding the circle. And you got you to gotta up your game when that happens. Oh, no, 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 no. And I had all kinds of good reasons. No, no, pastors are elders, and elders are older, and I'm, I'm quite young. I, I still am. Why do you look at me like that? And, 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 and not only that, but I had an even better reason. I stuttered. Oh, I might stammer a little bit still, but I stuttered. I mean, at the point, especially in a, in a, in a high-pressure setting, and you guys are high-pressure. I don't know if you know that. You're a scary bunch. And, and, and in a high-pressure like that, I, I would lock up. I couldn't even finish a sentence. I, had a, I just didn't stutter. I had a bad stutter. I can't be a pastor. They're supposed to talk. Well, I learned in high school, just, just shut up and be quiet. Don't talk, because then I'll, that's when the ridicule and the laughing and everything comes, and it's just, it's, it's, it's bad, so just be quiet, and, and uh, I, I, I practiced that for many years, and the Lord just had other plans, and but I'm in good company, actually. Moses tried those same excuses, at least the, I stutter, I don't know how to talk. The prophet Jeremiah had the same excuse, I'm young. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk. Who am I to, to be your messenger? Who am I to talk to people for God? We get that a lot, don't we? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to say that? Don't judge me. Who are we to take any stand? And what Jeremiah does, he starts off, and, and Jeremiah, in the, in the annals of the prophets, in the, in the in book after book, Jeremiah is perhaps the most unpleasant of any of them. In the sense that he brings bad news with, with, without any sugarcoating. It is bad. It's going to get worse. It isn't going to get better, at least not for a while. There, there, there is hope in the midst of that, and we're going we're gonna to get to that. But, but Jeremiah is called, the weeping, is called the weeping prophet. He cries. Uh, perhaps it might be partly for the burden that's upon himself. But he also weeps like the Lord did over Jerusalem. He weeps because of the message. He weeps because of what he knows is coming upon this people because they have forsaken their God. They have, they have uh, abandoned his springs of living water and they have, they have dug for themselves empty cisterns which can't hold any water. And he weeps for them. It can be a depressing book. If you're, if you're feeling really, really good and uh, up and everything is wonderful and you want a dose of reality, read Jeremiah. If that didn't do it, Lamentations well. It'll, it'll bring you back down to reality. That's a, it's that kind of book. It's, it's not a, a happy, pleasant, uh, upbeat. And yet, um, Jeremiah faced the question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to talk to us? What makes you think you can say that? How can you say those things? That's not not what we want to hear. We want to hear good news. We want to hear the Babylonians are going to be destroyed. We don't want you to say that they're going to win. You're going to lose. You are going into exile. There's no way out of it. There's no more games to play. There's no more seeking refuge. Time is up. We don't want to hear that. They called him a traitor. And yet Jeremiah Opens his book. He opens the record, and these opening chapters, uh, maybe up to I forget about twenty-five or so, are perhaps the record of the book that he first compiled of his prophecies and sent it to the king because he was forbidden now to come into the king's presence anymore. The king didn't want to hear from him. That he 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 sent this through his through his servant. They brought it in the presence of the king. It was read before the king, and every couple of pages the king would cut it off the scroll with his knife and toss it in the fire. He heard every line and rejected every line and tossed them in the fire. And so God saw Jeremiah, no problem. Go back and write it again. My word will not be destroyed. My word will not fall short. My word will accomplish its purpose. And yet how Jeremiah begins that book of prophecy, that book of bad news. And we have, we have, in a sense, both bad news and good news to tell. The good news is only worth hearing once the bad news is, has been realized. We have both bad news and good news to tell. And how Jeremiah begins his bad news is, is insightful. And I think there's something we, if, if we are going to be men of God today... And what our families, guys, most need is for us to be men of God. What, whether, whether you could stand because it's Father's Day or not, what this church family needs from you, men, is to be men of God today. What, what this world, this city around us, this community around us, needs all of us to be as a prophetic community, if I could say that, is to stand and be messengers of God at a time when that is unpopular, at a time when people would say, who do you think you are to say things like that? Well, let's see how Jeremiah begins. Let's, let's begin with a, with a word of prayer that we might hear from God through his messenger. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for a man like Jeremiah that stood... Um, At an unpopular time, at a time when people didn't want to hear from him, they didn't want to hear from you. Maybe they wanted to hear good news that it was said was from you, but they didn't want to hear your truth in that day. Lord, uh, oftentimes people don't want to hear your truth in this day, and yet still you have us speak it. Lord, uh, guide us into how we might speak it. Lord, how we might be used as your messengers today, how we might gain some interest and have a hearing even as we look at how Jeremiah began. Lord, teach us from here uh, something about who we are, something about what we have to say. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the word of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were at Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, who was the son of Josiah, the evil son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the king who followed him, installed by Babylon, that also rebelled against it, also did not trust the Lord, another evil king, one good king, two evil kings, the, the king of Judah until the captivity of Jerusalem in the, fifth, in, the, in the fifth month. Well, who is Jeremiah? We get an opening snapshot. Jeremiah... He's the son of somebody. He's one of the priests who were in the city of Anatoth, which is a priestly city that has its history back to the time of David. The, uh, the priest who sheltered David and gave him showbread off the table the, the day before his bread, after the bread had been, been changed, it was for the priest, but this priest gave it to David and his men as they were fleeing from King Saul. He was, he was high priest during David's reign. This was the city that that priest came from. This priestly line uh, came from, so that's Jeremiah's heritage. He has a a heritage that goes all the way back to the real David, the first David, in a time when the sons of David act nothing like David any longer. He's the son of Hilkiah, and there's a lot of conversation about that because Hilkiah, in the days of Josiah, Hilkiah was the high priest. Hilkiah was the high priest who um, helped King Josiah in the midst of his reforms, turning a people back toward their God, reminding them again of who their God was. It didn't really stick through the culture. But for a generation, the people again were reminded of who the true God was. And Hilkiah, the high priest, was essential to that. Hilkiah was the one who found in the temple, when Josiah said, go clean out the temple, restore the temple, they found a book of the law. They found a copy of Deuteronomy in the temple. And Hilkiah, the high priest, brought it to Josiah. And Josiah tore his robes. He read the book. He heard what was in the book. He heard of God's promise, but he also heard of the curses that are in the book of Deuteronomy. If God's people did not follow the law, and that really sets up what Jeremiah's message is going to be all about. Those curses that are coming. The exile, the chastening, the discipline, the hardship that is coming because God's people did not keep God's word. So Jeremiah actually was somebody. Now, scholars are not agreed if this Hilkiah was that Hilkiah because, well, it seems he's the wrong priestly line who were that most of the high priests came from at that time. I'm not going to get into all of that, but I actually kind of lean towards this Hilkiah was that Hilkiah. That, that Jeremiah was actually the son of the high priest, the young son of the high priest. He was younger than the young King Josiah. Uh, but um, it's, not un, it's not at all unlikely that, that Josiah would have taken a high priest outside of the normal line because the normal line had gone corrupt. And Josiah was different than the kings before him and after him. And so he would choose a high priest to be, in a sense, a spiritual guide for him as king that was a priest who was outside of that corrupt, corrupted line and who loved the Lord. I don't find that unusual at all. So maybe, maybe just Jeremiah was somebody. And I bother to say that because it puts all the more in contrast the, uh, the striking humility that we actually find in, in Jeremiah. So he's in very difficult days. During the, he begins his prophecy at a good time. It seems like people are turning to faith again. Josiah is in the midst of his, of his, uh, his reforms, and they will continue for, for another decade or decade and a half or so. I forget the exact number of years. But then after that, things are going to come crashing down. And there will be a few very wicked kings before the end comes. But within about 40 years or so, Over the course of 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry, the kingdom is going to collapse, and they're going to be carried away into exile, and those who are left are going to still rebel against Babylon, and they're going to have to flee to Egypt, and they're even going to kidnap Jeremiah and drag him along with them, co opt him into them as, as sort of a lucky charm, if you will. So the bottom is about to drop out. In the course of his ministry, Jeremiah will not succeed. He will seem to fail. It will seem like they didn't listen. Oh, but certainly some along the way did listen. But the majority, the culture at large, did not. Those are, the, those are the, the years that Jeremiah lives in. Now, this is how Jeremiah is called. Verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. God spoke to him. God called him out. Out of all the people, God put his finger on Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God. Oh, wait a minute. Let's just pause there a minute. I knew you. Our God knows. Our God knows you. Just, Just dwell on that for a minute. Was that just then? Or is that now? Well, flip over in your minds. Don't turn there in the book, but flip over in your minds to those letters that start the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Every one of them starts with this kind of a phrase. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your faithfulness. I know this. I know this about you. Our God knows. Our God knows. He knows our faithfulness. He knows our weakness. He knows our failings. Because he knows those things, he sent his son into the weakness of humanity that he might be a faithful high priest for us. But your God doesn't just know humanity in general. Your God knows you. He knew Jeremiah individually, personally, and he knows you. He knows me. And he says, I appointed you. I appoint you. One of the verses that Julie and I were given by a missionary couple that was retiring after 40 plus years on the field in Italy was John 15, 16. And it says this, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear forth fruit and that your fruit would remain. I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to be a pastor. You didn't choose to be a messenger of God in that neighborhood or in that office or in that store or wherever it is or in that school. You didn't choose to be a messenger of God there, and yet there you are. And he says, you didn't choose this. I have chosen you and appointed you. And not merely to make your life miserable, no. I have chosen you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that that fruit would remain, that fruit would endure. There are people who will know something of the Savior, and they will know something of eternal life, and they might even step into it. They might be those that you would welcome into eternal dwelling places. Jesus says, because God chose you for that. God chose you to be His messenger. I appointed you, but I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm just young. I'm. I don't. I don't know what to say. I don't know. I'm just young. How many of you can agree with that? Yeah. You all of yes. Yeah. We're just. do just young. We don't. We don't know what to say. You know. In our. In our men's. In our men's Bible. Bible study on Monday mornings, a um, handful of guides get together and they sort of give me a push start on the morning, or, or, or rather on the sermon for the next week, and and we we study that passage together, and one of the men and we pray for one another, and and typically we. This passage speaks to us. What would we pray for? And this passage spoke, spoke to us about being God's messengers. And, and one of the men was saying, you know, I have a neighbor, and he's near death. He's in hospice care. He knows he's near death. And, and I, really, I don't really know where he is at spiritually. I don't know where he is with the Lord. I don't know quite how to raise the topic, how to have that conversation with him. And I really want to. And so we prayed for him that morning. This, just this last Sunday, this last Monday, we prayed for him, that God would give him an opening, give him an opportunity. Well, I heard from him on Tuesday, when well, God had given him that opportunity, his friend wanted to be baptized, and he wasn't exactly sure why his, what all that meant, where his friend exactly was at, but hey you want to have the pastor come over, a Baptist at that, and talk about baptism, you know there's going to be have to be a spiritual conversation. What is this whole thing about? Why would we do this? What does this mean? So well, we're going to have a spiritual conversation then. So I got to go over. Was it Wednesday? Was it Wednesday? I think it was Wednesday I got to go over. And, and uh, I... And I met him there, and, and uh, this man was there, and, and his brother was there, and his niece was there, a couple other kids, and, and they all wanted to understand this But And we talked about, what is baptism? Why do you do that? Well, this, this is a testimony of what God has done for us. Our faith in Christ, who, who, who united, who joined us together with Jesus, we share his death for us. We are buried in baptism. With Jesus, because Jesus' death is our death, and so that we are raised up with Jesus in his resurrection to walk in newness of life. And we talked about that. I said, you know, I baptize them, and I put them under the water, and I, and I hold them there a minute. And then when I bring them back up, man, it's a resurrection moment, and they are so glad to be alive. And, and, but that it, it's a picture for all the church. Every time we do that, it's a picture of raised with Jesus, through faith in him, to live new life. And he understood that well. I asked him, you're going to die, and when you do, let's say you get up to the pearly gates there, and Peter said, I don't think it works that way, but let's just say you got to the pearly gates, and Peter was there, and he said, why should I let you into God's good heaven? And he sa- I, sa- I said, what answer would you give him? And he said, because Jesus died to forgive my sins. That's, exact, that's the only answer. I want to so believe in Jesus that if Peter were to say, because he was confused, well, that's not quite enough. Well, that's a good start, but what else have you done? I would have to sadly shake my head and walk away because I have no other claim to enter into God's presence than Jesus died to forgive my sin. And that was his faith. That's Larry's faith. And so we baptized Larry that morning. He was at the point that, he, that immersion wasn't kind of going to work, so we had to go a little Lutheran. I hope you won't hold that against me. <laughs> but praise God, huh? I don't know what to say, but God will provide the opportunity that led into the what to say. God will do that if we are simply willing and say, God, here I am, use me. Oh, sorry, I'm mixing my prophets. No, I just went from Jeremiah to Isaiah. I don't know what to say, I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm just a youth. There is no excuse here. I'm, God doesn't tolerate that. He says, for to, you, for to all to whom I send you, you will go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. It reminds me of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power on high. He doesn't say you might. He doesn't say, you know, if you sign up early, get the pre-registration. No, you will receive power from on high. The Spirit will come. The Spirit will indwell you as a believer in Christ. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses all over the place. That's the abbreviated version. You will be my witnesses, God says. Our fears, our excuses of how to speak, God knows. God God answers that. God touches his mouth. Did you catch that? Do not say, then the Lord, it's in verse 9, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. God touched him. What is it that made Jeremiah able to speak for God? Who do you think you are? I am simply one who has been touched by God. I am simply one who has heard and believed God's message myself, and that's what I want to share with you. God chose me. God appointed me. God has sent me for this. God says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms, both to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, but also, also to build and to plant. You see, Jeremiah was not just the prophet of doom. Jeremiah was not merely the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was not just the prophet of lamentations and despair. Jeremiah was the prophet of the new covenant. Jeremiah was the prophet who acknowledged that this people could not keep God's law, could not keep God's covenant. No people could keep God's law. And yet, Jeremiah is the one through whom, in chapter 31, God said, Behold, I will make a new covenant. And he would do that through Jesus. We celebrate it every month, don't we? We gather around a table and we remind ourselves that this cup is the new covenant in Jesus' blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus himself established that new covenant when he would take his law that we could not keep and he would write it on our own hearts. That's who I am. I'm a man made new. Oh, not yet perfect, but I'm a man, man made new. By the writing of God upon my heart, by his spirit. To build and to plant. Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Well, I would flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 16. Who do I think I am? From now on, therefore, we regard nobody according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we see him thus no more. We don't even consider Jesus as merely a human man. There's something more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I am, I am a man whom God has given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself. It's not by me. It's by Jesus not counting their trespasses against them and he is entrusted to us, to us, to us, the message of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Jesus. I'm not an ambassador for the state. I'm not an ambassador for Vancouver. I'm not an ambassador for, for, for the U.S. Capitol. I'm not an ambassador for the White House. I am an ambassador for Christ, the King of glory. It's it's been said before that if God has made you an ambassador of Christ, if God has made you an ambassador of the Lord of lords, if God has made you an ambassador of the creator of everything, don't stoop to be a king. Don't settle for less. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who I am. Who do you think you are? Well, in me, I'm nobody. I don't know anything. I don't know how to talk. I don't know what to say. Do you see in Jeremiah, Jeremiah was the son made perhaps of the high priest. Jeremiah comes from a priestly line, at least a noble line, a line that has its history in David. And yet, who are you, Jeremiah? Just a, I was just a kid. I don't know why God chose me. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't come because I wanted to be recognized and have you all gather and hear me. No, no, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to talk to people. I didn't sign up to be a prophet, Jeremiah says. God sent me because God has something to say to you. I didn't sign. There, there, is, a, there is a humility in Jeremiah That we don't want to miss because there there needs to be a humility that we come with to the people around us. We dare not shout across the street at people. We dare not talk down to people. We come as one beggar who tells another beggar where to find bread. We come as recipients of God's grace, which grace so overflows in us that we can't help but let it flow out of us to the people around about us. That's the essence of this grace that we have received. It must, it must leak out of us. If it's really there. And so I'm nobody in myself. And yet God has chosen me and God has has sent me. There's a humility there, but it's a confident humility. We we tell our story. Jeremiah tells something of his own background that exposes some, some humility on his part. If you tell your story of where you found forgiveness... If you tell your story of what Jesus has done for you, that's an admittance of your own humility. I'm not talking down to you. I'm sharing with you what I have been given, what I have received. God has given me this and I want to share it with you. God has given me this and he's told me to to share it with as many people as I can. I must. This is the best thing ever. There's a confident humility. Who do you think you are? I'm simply somebody that God has chosen, that God has touched me. God has spoken to my fears. God has said, you need to tell them this. And look what God will do with that. How can you say that? We need to take our stand. This is a, we will be shouted down. We will be pushed aside. We will be mar- marginalized. And yet in this day more than ever, we need to take our stand. Tell your story, but take your stand. Your story can be somewhat relational, and it might seem to somebody else relative. Well, that worked for you, but it's not merely relative that it worked for you. It is the answer for them as well, that same grace. And so as you tell your story in confident humility, we must also take our stand. That's the second part of this chapter one. Look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the the word branch is also rod or staff, so put them all together. I see an almond stick. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And you scratch your head and you say, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I see an olive branch or a rod or a staff, and God says, that's right, that's exactly what you see because I'm watching over my word to perform it. Does that all go together for you? And yet it can. First of all, Jeremiah is doing a word play. Simple word play. The word for the almond branch or rod or staff is, is, is the Hebrew word shaked and has the same three consonants, which all Hebrew, all Hebrew words are formed in three consonants, and as the word for watch over, which, it, which is the Hebrew word shoked, So shaked, shoked. Okay, the, 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 There's a rhyme there. There's, there's a word play going on. But it's better, it's, it's better than that. It's better than just a little Hebrew vocabulary thrown out there. Almond rod. Jeremiah is from a priestly family. Jeremiah is from a priestly family that goes way back. Well, where did all that start? Where did the high priesthood start? It started with, with God choosing one, and his name was Aaron, Moses' brother. Just happened to be the brother of the guy who said, No, Lord, don't send me. I don't know how to talk. I don't know what to say. Yeah, that Moses. And, and God said, well, that's yeah, okay. I'll, I'll let Moses talk for you. I'll talk to you. You tell Moses what to say, and Moses will speak. And we'll even use Moses' staff. How will, how will they know that I've sent you? Well, what's Moses' staff? Let, let's take Aaron's stand, staff there. Throw it down. And, and it turns into a serpent. He picks it up again. It turns back into a staff. Well, that same staff, Aaron's rod that was used in the various plagues of Egypt to deliver them out of Egypt, that historic redemption. Later on, there were some others that said, Who do you guys think you are? Who died and made you priests over us? Who died and made you the one that speaks for God among all the people? We all can speak for God. And God told Moses, okay, get one staff from each family. This is in Numbers chapter 17. Get one staff from each of the families of the 12 families of Israel. Line them up. Stick them out there. There's a stick. There's a stick. There's a stick. There's a stick. And whichever one blossoms. These are sticks. Sticks don't blossom. Take the sticks, stick them in the ground, and whichever one blossoms, they came back the next day, and not only had, all the others are still dead. But Aaron's rod not only had leaves and blossoms, but it had almonds already. Almonds don't grow that fast. And there they were, they're already there on the stick. It's just a stick. Life burst forth by God's power. God's mark of who will be priest is life out of what's dead. Oh, take that forward to the resurrection, will you? Take that forward into a a grave cut out of stone and a door that was sealed and, and after the dead body of Jesus Christ was laid inside, who will be high priest? Who will be our priest before God? It will be the one through whom life comes out of what's dead. So that... That little image there for Jeremiah was huge. God had chosen before, and that choosing was wrapped up in redemption. And that choosing and that mark of the almond branch looked ahead to a promise that would yet be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the one who would be raised from the dead. He would be the true son of David. He would be our true rescue, our true deliverer. How can you say that? Because God says, I will do what I said I would do. And that reaches back to the promise of redemption. And then it reaches forward as well. The next vision, verse 13. He said, well, what else do you see? He said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster will be let loose. Judgment is coming. Out of the north, the tribes are going to come. And it would turn out 40 years later to be Babylon. Babylon wasn't even on the scene yet. But they would be. And they would overwhelm Israel. They would besiege Jerusalem and they would destroy Jerusalem and finally carry everybody away into captivity. There's two things. that that Then, uh, who are you to say that? The, the, The surety of God's word, the essence of God's message involves both judgment because of sin. Judgment because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And yet, the Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all. That's the other part of the message. There is the boiling pot. Judgment is surely coming. And yet there is God's promise of salvation. There is God's promise of life coming from what was dead. There is God's promise. And yet there is not much time. That's why I'd put those two together. There is God's promise of redemption from the past toward into the future. But there's not much time. Judgment is coming. That's what we've got to tell people around us. We have bad news and we have good news. The bad news is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know when I met with Larry on Wednesday morning? Actually, it was Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, it was after Golden Heirs. When I met with Larry, what I learned was um, he had been reading just that morning Psalm 14. That was one of his favorites, he said, Psalm 14. Psalm 14 is the one that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not even one. That's where Paul quotes out of Romans 3. He had the bad news, and yet he'd also believe the good news that Jesus died to forgive his sins. And so then Jeremiah's chapter closes with verse 17. That's what's coming, but you dress yourself for work come on get dressed put your work clothes on there's work to do there is yet work to do time has not run out yet arise say to them everything i've commanded don't be dismayed don't lose hope and behold i will make you this day a fortified city he will make him a fortified city to the city that's going to try to fortify itself and yet it cannot stand god says jeremiah i'm going to make you a fortified city do you see that Oh, the city may fall, Jeremiah, but you will not. Everything may come crashing down around you, but you cannot fall. Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. And what? I know them. And they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish, and nobody is able to take them out of my hand, Jesus says. My Father, who is greater than all, he has given them to me, and no one is able to take them out of my Father's hand. God's word to Jeremiah, I will keep my promise. There's not much time left, but you keep going. Don't lose hope. I've got your back. You're going to take some hits, folks. We're going to start next week, a study through the book of First of Peter, and I plan to take a while. We're going to go a few verses along the way, week by week. I want us to, to soak in First Peter, because Peter is writing to a church in an in, in antagonistic time. He's writing to, a, "How Christians, how will Christians f- prosper spiritually? How will we carry on when the world is, in fact, against us? I want us to soak up first Peter for a while, that letter from the Apostle. And so we're going to start that next week. We are going to take some hits. We are going to bear a burden. We are going to pay a cost for being faithful messengers. When Jeremiah signed up, he knew this was not going to be an easy road. And yet, what could he do? God has chosen him, and God has chosen you. I'm asking us this morning to devote ourselves, to give ourselves to be that prophetic community. In the midst of this community, in the midst of these towns, in this city, I'm I, I'm saying we must be what Jeremiah was. This ba- because there's bad news, but there's also good news. God will keep His promise, His promise of rescue, His promise of redemption, redemption, His promise through the one through whom life came out of death. And I'm asking us to give ourselves, even though it'll cost us something, to that. The men are going to come forward just a minute and receive the the, the morning's offering. You have those white communication cards, and there may be something else, some other means of service. It might be Vacation Bible Club. It might be something else. It might be you have somebody you want us to pray for, somebody you don't know what to say to. We'd love to help with that. But as we receive the offering, I want us to, to remember that we present ourselves a living sacrifice, a living offering to our God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Father, that you call us. We don't know why. We hardly understand how, but you have called us by your own grace, by your own mercy and your own gospel. Well, you've invited us into salvation by believing in Jesus. And from there, then, you have also given us the privilege to be your messengers of that same grace and mercy to others, even in this late hour. So, Father, would you give us the same courage you poured into Jeremiah? As you touched his lips, would you touch ours? As you encouraged and even pushed him along, Lord, would you push us? Would you use us in this place, in this city, for your glory? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.